0: Luke 2, 36-38, the last of our Christmas characters, the, the shortest passage that we're going to look at, the, uh, the least we know about, or the person we know least about, Anna. Uh, not a lot of information about her in Scripture, nothing about her, Outside of Scripture, if you remember last week when we talked about Simeon, there were puzzle pieces we could put together uh, about who Simeon was from from information and resources outside of the Bible. we don 't have that for Anna uh, but we're going to learn some things this morning. there are some key uh, biographical pieces of the story that tell us a lot about faithfulness we'll we'll see that when we get there but First of all, we know, we can look around, we are uh, aware that commitment is getting harder and harder to find. It's hard to find people that will commit. Uh, we commit until we fall out of love. You know, we, we commit until it's not convenient. We commit until it gets hard. We commit until we don't get our way. We commit until it's just not fun anymore. So we would commit to a point, we'll commit until we're not committed. Well, that's kind of the opposite of the definition of commitment, isn't it? Commitment, faithfulness, is another word we can use for this. Faithfulness to a person, faithfulness to God, Or a person, a task, or an entity is becoming more and more scarce. And I'm not even talking about the culture. I'm just talking about the church. Uh, We don't have to look out there to find it. We can look inside the walls of churches all across our country and find or not find true commitment and faithfulness. But when we come to Scripture... When we look at this final character of Christmas, at least in our study, there were others that we could talk about, but we're stopping here. We see a person in Anna that teaches us faithfulness uh, in various ways, but we're going to see it as we move through her life. Luke chapter 2, verses 36-38, through 38, all we have on Anna. Let's read it together. There was also a prophetess. Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's all we have on her. That's it. She's not mentioned again. She's not mentioned prior to this. We have people in the Bible that are mentioned but not named. God saw fit to give us a name, a lineage even, a history. So what can we learn about Anna from these two verses? Well, who she is affects our view, our our learning of faithfulness from her. There's no wa- there are no wasted words in Scripture. There's no time where, okay, well, that little section or that little part's a throwaway. It's all there for a reason. We learn some things about Anna because it teaches us. Who was Anna? First of all, it says in verse 36 that she was a prophetess. So a prophet or prophetess is one who heard from God and then spoke for God. That's what they were. They didn't necessarily tell the future, though that might be part of their job, that might be what God told them, but more than anything, they heard a word from the Lord, and they then shared that word from the Lord with the people. Not unheard of to have a prophetess in Scripture. Uh, Deborah in the Old Testament, Miriam, who was Moses' sister, Huldah. Uh, was a prophetess. Isaiah's wife, who isn't named, but is listed as a prophetess. They, so this is not, un, it, it's not common, but it's not unheard of. The uncommonness of it, though, should slap us a little bit. Wait, a prophetess? All right, we've had this, this man of the, of the church, uh, the temple, who was not listed uh, as a prophet, only righteous and devout, and now we come to a woman. Luke does this a lot. Uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, uh, Simeon, Anna, and he's going to do that a lot throughout his book where he gives two witnesses to something, a man and a woman, showing the importance of their testimony. So she's this prophetess. Uh, she is, he says, we're going to go a little backwards. We're going to start with tribe of Asher and then look at her daddy Phanuel. She was a, of the tribe of Asher. Now the tribe of Asher settled in the north after the exodus and conquest when uh, uh, Joshua led the people into the, the promised land and they, they fought and they took over areas. They, the promised land was divided up and each group got a, a parcel. Asher is the number one on the screen. Uh, it would be in the middle of the screen, the red section. That is the tribe of Asher. Um, number 12, just for your uh, trivial pursuit information, is the tribe of Zebulun, and that's where Nazareth is. So these are this is a border area here. Here. Uh, Asher was this geographically remote border tribe. It wasn't the heart. It wasn't the big tribes. It wasn't the the most important tribes. We don't have anybody doing anything that came from the tribe of Asher except for Anna. Uh, They never defeated the Canaanites in that area. They they fought with them a little bit, but they kind of just gave up after a while. The, The Philistines... Uh, took them over. As a matter of fact, some scholars say that uh, this tribe, this area, was not very Israelite at all. They assumed, subsumed, some of the surrounding culture so that it was not as pure, as Jewish, as, say, Judah, number seven, down at the bottom, or Benjamin, those areas. The tribe of Asher then... After they form their, uh, they, they get their, their borders and their spot uh, after the conquest of, of the promised land. They go on for, that would have been, oh, 1400 BC or so. Uh, they go on for a few hundred years. They get David as king, Solomon as king. Then the kingdom is split. Uh, the kingdom of Israel is split into the northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah and that border would have been about where the three and the two are um, on, your, on the picture up there. The, the kingdom split. Asher's part of the northern kingdom, which was uh, incredibly evil. It did not follow God. Judah wasn't a whole lot better in the south, but Israel was a little worse than Judah. In 722 B.C., Assyria comes in and uh, takes over, kills most of the people, deports almost all of the rest of them into Syria and you see on this next map uh, how far away they went. If you look on the far bottom left corner you see Galilee that would just north of that would be where Asher is. The tribe of Asher and the other 10 tribes of the north were uh, exiled and taken all the way into Assyria which is in the uh, top right corner. So it wasn't just a minor thing. When when Babylon came in and took over the southern kingdom of Judah, they deported a lot of people, but left a lot of people. Assyria didn't leave a lot of people. They wanted to wipe out the northern kingdom, and they almost did it. Uh, Asher then, this tribe, was exiled and then assimilated into the Assyrian culture. But the book of Tobit which we don't have in our uh, Bible. It's uh, an apocryphal book. If you want to look up that word, you can. Uh, An apocryphal book, and some Bibles have it. Ours doesn't. The book of Tobit speaks of of a few of the northern kingdom tribes, the northern kingdom people, keeping their Israelite identity even in Assyria. Even in Assyria, they still kept themselves Jewish. It, It happened a lot with Judah in Babylon. They created Jewish communities. They kept their Jewishness even in exile. For the most part, the northern kingdom did not, except for a few. Except for a few that remembered their God, remembered the promises, remembered how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt and taken them into the promised land and given them the good land. As a matter of fact, Asher was some of the most fertile land in the promised land because of its location. It had the most temperate climate. It, it, it was uh, agriculturally the, probably the best land you could get. I mean, even looking at that map, you can see uh, north of Galilee and on up through Phoenicia how it gets greener. That, that's the best place to be. They, they were blessed, and there were a few people. There was a remnant, there was a group that remembered their God and were faithful to him. Anna came from that tribe, Asher. She was also this, the daughter of a man, man named Fanuel. Now Fanuel, his name means "face of God." Now face of God" is used a couple of different ways in the Old Testament, and, in, and it depends on context. You either did or you didn't want God to turn his face toward you. You, were, you wanted to be clear, Lord, turn your face to me in blessing, in pleasure. Because if he turned his face to you in wrath, well, you didn't want that. And certainly they didn't name their son Fanuel, to describe God's displeasure, although maybe they did. The double meaning of that phrase is, even passed down now, 700 years later, the, the, Anna's grandparents named their son Face of God. I think both looking back to when God had turned his face in displeasure to the northern kingdom, to the tribe of Asher, but also asking God to turn his face back toward his people in pleasure, in blessing, and show them Anna. Anna's name means grace. And so you have Fanuel, face of God. Turn your face. And Fanuel names his daughter Grace. Anna, Lord, turn your face to us in grace. Anna was an extremely uncommon name in Jerusalem, in Judah at this time when Anna was living. As a matter of fact, uh, in in historical records, we have about 3,000 women's names recorded from this era, which would have been, you know, we would call it 0 A.D. Uh, Around that time, we have 3,000 women's names recorded. There is one person recorded named Anna. Her. Her. But it was an extremely common name in the northern kingdom after the exile. Those those remnants. And, And maybe they didn't even know some of them what they were doing. Didn't understand what they were asking for. They may have just thought it was a pretty name. But some of them named their children. A lot of them named their children grace. 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 God, show us your grace. God, send us grace. God, let us see your face again and turn it toward us in pleasure with grace. The other thing we learn about Anna here is that she was a widow. Very likely she got married at 14. According to scripture, she was widowed at 21 and then she was without her husband For 84 years. Already did the math for you. She's now 105 years old. Now there, some would say, well, you can say that she had been alive for 84 years. You can make verse 37 say had been alive for 84 years, but the the grammar doesn't work very well that way. Scripture is saying she was married For seven years. Most girls got married at 13 or 14. She was married for seven years and then she lived without her husband for 84. This lady was 104, 105 years old. Anybody hear that? Anybody here feel that? Well, all right, yeah. um, A lot of young ones. So who was Anna? Anna was a powerless woman from a powerless non-existent border tribe whose family names show a hope held for 700 years and she teaches us how to be faithful turn your face to god or your face god to us and show us grace well how was anna faithful We'll start in verse 37, and we're going to see five ways that Anna was faithful. We're going to see five ways that she was committed as a character trait. uh, Some of these are going to be committed to the Lord. Some of them are going to be committed to people. But this this was a character trait that we should emphasize, that we should imitate, that we should be like. Number one, Anna was committed to her husband. Luke 2 37 says, And she was a widow for eighty-four years. A widow for a lot of folks don't even live for eighty-four years. And she's a widow for eighty-four years. You 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 go into this reading and, and it would be understood that you question Why did she not get remarried? There's there's no law against widows remarrying. You might think, well, once you're married, you can't do it. No, that's not it at all. There's no law that says a widow can't remarry. Now, it was actually encouraged that you remarry when your spouse dies, especially for ladies, because they, they had usually no property, no legal rights. It, it was all on their husband. And if they didn't have a husband, chances are they didn't have much of anything, especially if they didn't have any children, didn't have brothers or a father still living. Who knows what her situation was? We're not told anything about that other than she did not remarry after her husband died, at 21 years old, when she was 21 years old. So the, even though there's no law against remarrying, there was a custom, there was an ideal situation where a widow would, t- would commit to God as her new husband. So I've lost my husband for the rest of my life now, I will commit to God as my husband. He will take care of me. He will provide for me. I will worship him and I will serve him. But that custom, that expectation was much more uh, expected of older widows, not 21 year olds. 21 year olds are still pretty much in the prime. Even back then, when you want to get married at 14, 21 still. You're, you know, you're good. Go get married, have a family, all this. Anna. Cool all right, just making sure you're up, that's all. (laughs) Anna didn't, and her faithfulness to God's ideal outweighed meeting felt needs. Her faithfulness to say, you know what, now that I've lost my husband, I'm going to commit myself to the Lord, even at 21 years old, even though that would have meant, marrying would have meant security, Would have meant children, would have meant all the blessings, all the privileges, all the joys of marriage. No, she put that aside and she was faithful to God's ideal in being committed to her husband. Number two, she was committed to service. Committed to service. uh, Luke 2.37, she did not leave the temple serving God day and night. See, her service wasn't conditional. She was committed to service regardless. It didn't depend on convenience. It, it didn't depend on whether it was a good time to serve, whether she was able to at that point. It didn't, her service didn't depend on her ability. She was 105. I'm assuming she had slowed down some by that point. Most of us, when we get to 105, will have slowed down some. Okay? But she did not, apparently, or at least she didn't stop. So her ability as a 105-year-old did not stop her from service. She didn't, uh, her service didn't depend on uh, a lack of, of, of apparent reward. She had waited for Israel's consolation her entire life. She was waiting on God to do something in her life. Now, we talked about waiting earlier we talked about waiting with Simeon yet Anna was waiting as well as a matter of fact Anna's ancestors had waited for 700 years for their redemption for their consolation and had not gotten it and yet Anna continues to serve without the reward that she had been hoping for I mean if Simeon waited a long time and we talked about how he was probably in his 70s or 80s Anna has waited longer, especially considering her history, and yet, way back when she was 21, she had told God yes, and that was it. I will serve you. I will serve you for as long as I live. Do you think she thought that would be 84 more years that she would serve him in the temple? And doesn't say she died yet. I'm I'm sure she is now but scripture doesn't give us a, a, a date of death. At 21, she signed a blank check, made it, made it out to God, put her signature on it, and left the total for him to fill in. Whatever it is in my life, you've got it. You don't like that analogy? Well, let's go to poker. She took all of her chips. And before the cards were even dealt, she said, I'm all in. And somebody would say, don't you want to see the cards first? Nope. Not my game. Not my cards. Not my chips. I'm all in to serve the Lord no matter what. She was committed to service. Because she was faithful. Number three, she was committed to worship. Verse 37 says... uh, she did not leave the temple, serving God day and night, with fasting and prayers. Those are activities of worship. Those aren't activities of service. They serve the Lord, but those aren't activities of service. Those are activities of worship. Those are the activities of someone devoted to the Lord, showing Him their devotion in pietous, righteous, worshipful acts see for Anna service wasn't a rote activity devoid of spiritual content sometimes in the church we can we can get so busy doing that we forget to worship and we think that our service is worship and it can be and it can even be a form of worship but it cannot take the place of worship. God wants our service. God commands our service. He he gives us responsibilities, and there are plenty of things for us to do in the work of the Lord, in his kingdom. But those things, Mary and Martha, remember them? The acts of service cannot take the place of the acts of worship. Martha's doing a good thing, but Mary has chosen the better thing worship versus doing. Anna was committed to that. She didn't just serve and and not worship the Lord she was expecting to save her. Worship was as vital to her service as doing was. She didn't replace one uh, one with the other. She could not. She knew she couldn't. She was waiting on something. Sure, I'll sweep while I'm waiting. But I'm waiting. Yeah, I'll, I'll serve the meals. But I'm waiting. And she was waiting for something more than just a lightning bolt. She was waiting for more than just church growth. She was waiting for more than just some uh, visible, uh, tangible, uh, boy, things will get better along. She was waiting for God to show up. For him to move in the hearts of his people, to move in the land. She wasn't just looking for things, she was looking for him. And so she worshiped him, knowing he would show up. Number four, in the faithfulness of Anna, she was committed to God's leading. Verse 38, at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God. Now, that very moment would have been when uh, either after, right after, or right as, Simeon stated his prophecy over the baby Jesus. At that moment, Anna, who was a prophetess, who was in tune with the, the, the words of the Lord, who heard from God, and then told people what he said. Anna recognized God's voice of fulfillment. She saw in that baby. She heard from the Lord. This is the one you've been waiting for for 84 years. This is the one you have been waiting for for 105 years. Years. This is the one you have been waiting for for 700 years. This is the one you have been waiting for since Adam and Eve took the bite of that fruit. It's here. He's here. Anna recognized that because she was committed to God's leading. She was committed to hear from him. Know when he spoke and know what he said. And this is whether he spoke directly to her at this moment, which is most likely, given the fact that Luke introduces her as a prophetess, it is pretty clear that she didn't just take it on Simeon's word, but she got a word from the Lord at that moment. This is the child we've been waiting for. Or whether she did only hear Simeon and understood Then, as he spoke through the Lord and knew, this is the child. Either way, she knew it was God at that moment. She knew that God had led her to this point, way back when she was 21. And she devoted herself to the Lord, to serve in the temple, to worship him. She began to wait. Ah, no goes back further when she knew what her name meant, Grace. When she knew what her daddy's name meant, face of God. Even further, as she learned growing up what her tribe was, where their lineage was, little Grace, we've been waiting for the Lord to come and rescue us for 700 years. Ever since Assyria took us off, Defeated us. We've been waiting for the Lord to rescue us. Little Grace, watch, wait. He's coming. He's going to come back. And when she looked up that day in the temple and saw Simeon, whom she probably knew very well, holding that baby, and she heard that voice, it's me. 700 years. Now, it would have been easy for her to to deny that that was God's voice. Right? I mean, we talked about this with Simeon. It's a baby. I'm waiting for Israel's consolation, Jerusalem's consolation. It says here in this passage. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm not waiting for a baby. I'm waiting for a man, a Messiah, a, a leader. And God said, It's me. I'm here. I've come. In the form of a baby. In the form of my son. So she didn't deny it was God's voice. She was committed to hear God. To follow his leading. To believe him when he spoke. And at this moment, he did. Number five. And his faithfulness led her to be committed to tell others. We don't have the words she says. Uh, scripture doesn't quote her the way it quotes Simeon or Elizabeth or Mary or uh, uh, Zechariah. But it says at that very moment she came up and began to thank God. She saw it, she heard it, she thanked God for it, then she started telling everybody about it, to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Y'all, we find it difficult to tell people that our Messiah is a man who lived 2,000 years ago, is still alive, but that's kind of a difficult thing to, to discuss as well. A man who lived 2,000 years ago is our savior. Anna went around telling people that eight-day-old baby is our savior. You think we get stupid looks. You think when people look at us like you are nuts. What are they saying about Anna? Crazy old woman. thinks the baby's a Messiah. looks like every other kids ever come in here. Eight days, snip, snip, it's what we do. Yay, baby, we got a, d- a couple of doves. Pass it on to bring the next one. Simeon knew. Anna knew. And once she knew, she spread it. She told people. Once she was sure, she told people. As, as we kept, uh, if we had uh, gone back and read uh, uh, other parts, we would have seen the shepherds do the same thing. While well, they watch their flocks by night, they, they hear the angels, they show up and they go, go see, go see. And they go, and they see, and they leave. They saw a newborn. They saw a brand new, uh, what's messianic to a whole bunch of shepherds about a baby laying there in a feed trough. Nothing. And yet the shepherds left telling people. Anna left telling people she had a story to tell she might talk about her family line her tribe her border tribe that never quite was as jewish as they should have been a border tribe that that got a little too much into the world that they lived in didn't take off take out the world like they were supposed to Didn't fend themselves against the culture around them as much as they should have. Did not influence the culture, but rather let the culture influence them. She could talk about that. She could talk about the destruction, the the, uh, judgment that came on them because of their disobedience, because of their sin. She could talk about hearing the stories passed down of what it was like to be deported to Assyria. Really, if you were lucky, you were deported. Otherwise, you probably were killed. Maybe a few got away. Maybe she was a family that got away, or maybe her family was just allowed to stay for whatever reason in in Israel. She would tell about that, tell how everything was messed up, how their family line passed on the hope, passed on the story, passed on the belief that God would once again turn his face of blessing to them and show them grace. Show them Anna. And maybe she was clever with words. All the older ladies in my life that I've known were. So I picture grandmothers and great-aunts when I think of her. And I can just see her going around saying, I've seen Anna. I've seen Anna. And of course they would say, she's really lost it this time. She's talking about herself in the third person. She walked by a shiny metal thing. She saw a woman. She said, hi, what's your name? And the person said, Anna. And she's, but no, she's seen Anna. She has seen grace in a baby. And she tells every about body about it because she was looking for it she told those looking how god was about to repair what was broken brokenness he was going to fix the brokenness this was personal to her this was her family that was going to be repaired. This was her history that was going to be prepared, uh, repaired. This was her lineage, her, her generational curse that had been passed down not for 700 years, but ever since the day the two kingdoms split and Israel went north, 10 tribes went north and had a fake temple In a fake place of worship, and tried to replace God with other things. And Anna saw that God was going to repair that in this baby. Anna saw grace. So, the takeaway for us on being faithful as we look at these three verses of Anna's story, all we get, all we've got. On being faithful, us as individuals today, 2,000 years later, number one, commit to where God has put you. Commit to where God has put you. I'm talking about location. I'm talking about social status. I'm talking about all of it. God did not lose track of you and you ended up where you were accidentally and now he's scrambling to try to get the plans together to make something of your life commit to where you are and let God use you anna was a widow at 21 and stayed that way for 84 years because she believed that's where god had put her and that's what she was going to that's where she was going to stay and she was going to allow god to use her where she was to be faithful commit to serve god even when the circumstances aren't the best even when it's not convenient because you're 105 or because your abilities begin to wane because maybe you're a little younger than that but still service is difficult circumstances aren't always perfect right? If you live in perfect circumstances all the time, please tell me how. I think a lot of us would like to hear that. Well, you do this, you do this. Let me know, because I ain't figured it out yet. But our circumstances do not change our commitment to serve God. Number three, commit to worship Be there with God, not just doing stuff, not just doing things. Be there with Him. Spend time with Him. Allow Him to lead you. The prayer and the fasting, that is just an example. That's a picture of worship. Those are things we're still called to do as well. Commit to worship. When you serve God, don't replace worship with service. They they aren't interchangeable. It's a both and, not an either or. Number four, commit to God's leading. If you want to be faithful, a person of faithfulness like the character here, commit to God's leading. What you're hearing, the direction the Lord is leading you, those promptings aren't there to confuse you. It's not there to, to startle you. to to get you off track, to confuse you, to, to make you think something else is supposed to be done. When God leads, that prompting is there for you to obey, even if it's hard, even if it's not convenient. And then lastly, commit to telling. Commit to telling. Anna began to speak about him to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Every person you meet needs a fix for what is broken. Every person. They may not know it. Some do. Some want the fix. Every one of them needs the fix. So we need to tell them about the fix. We need to tell them about the one who can redeem our lives. She was talking about the redemption of Israel. I'm talking about the redemption of us. God is faithful to us. There's our, oh, what do we call it, Amy and Kids Beach Club? Our character word. Faithful would be our character word if we were doing beach club right now. God is faithful to us. He said he would provide a way to fix our broken hearts, our broken lives, and our broken relationships. Our relationships with him and with others. That is the work of a faithful God, and that is the calling on us of a faithful God to be faithful. Well, why are things broken? Things are broken because God had a design, God had a plan. God had put us on earth as humanity to have unbroken, unencumbered, perfect relationship with him. At any time God's plans are disobeyed, that's called sin. And way back in the garden, we sinned. We disobeyed. We didn't follow God. We didn't do what he told us to do. And so that design of a perfect relationship is now broken. There's no more perfect relationship. There's no more unencumbered access. And because of that, because of sin, we lead broken lives. We may not point to exile and an Assyrian takeover like Anna would have. That's what she would have said. Our lives have been broken for 700 years, really longer, ever since the kingdom split and Rehoboam took over in the north. Things have been messed up. Things have been broken. And, and it is our sin that has done that. And we were, are going to fix that. They, they did in the northern kingdom. They, they built idols here and uh, worshipped gods over there. And anything they could do to try to fix the brokenness, everything except turn to the one who could truly fix it and all of their fixes just left uh, led to more brokenness now we know the only fix for the brokenness is the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel that says we are sinners and we can't do anything about our sin but god sent his son oh holy night Silent night, holy night, God sent his son. And 33 years later, that son died on a cross. And on that cross, he took our punishment, he took our sin. Those 33 years were perfect. He, never ex- he experienced the brokenness of life, but he never caused any brokenness. He never sinned himself. He was the perfect sacrifice, and on that cross, he took our sin, he took our punishment. And if we will repent of our sin, and believe in Jesus Christ, if we will place our faith and trust in him, not intellectual assent, not church attendance or membership. The example I've used, maybe up here before, I don't know, it is the example of a parachute. I can strap on the parachute, cinch it all up, make sure everything works perfectly, jump out of an airplane. But if I never pull that rip cord, what good has that parachute done to me? Nothing. The gospel is the parachute. You can know about it, you can, you can believe the gospel will save you. You can believe all the parts of the gospel. Yes, just like the parachute, the strap does this here, and it supports me there. And when, you know, and under a amount of a certain amount of stress, the 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 little lead parachute goes out, and that pulls the whole thing out, and those strings, they hold that, and it's made of a certain material, so that when I uh am falling through the air, it supports me. I, I know everything about the parachute. I jump out of an airplane, never pull the ripcord in. Splat. That's the gospel until we put our faith in Jesus Christ, until we pull the ripcord of our salvation, repent and believe is pulling the ripcord. We will not experience it, but oh, when we do. When we pull that ripcord, we see Phanuel. We see the face of God. When we pull that ripcord, we experience Anna. We experience Grace. And we begin to recover and pursue God's design again. That relationship that he wants to have with us, we can now have because of that salvation. Will you go tell? The consolation, the redemption of our hearts is here. Will you believe it like Anna did? And will you tell it like Anna did? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have turned your face to us, Lord you you no doubt you still turn your face to us in wrath, in, in discipline, not in wrath. as believers, we don't experience your wrath. We do experience your discipline and it is, it is a fiery discipline if we will not be changed, if we will not be turned. But you do so. In grace, in mercy, your discipline now is a mercy. Your your grace is that we are not disciplined in the way we deserve. Certainly, we do not experience your wrath as we deserve. So we thank you for your grace this morning. Father, I pray that someone here will place their faith in Jesus Christ, trust him for that salvation, and begin to pursue and recover your design of a relationship with him or her. I pray for believers, Lord, that we will take the example of Anna and live in faithfulness. That we will be committed to you, committed to serve you, committed to worship you, committed to hear you, and committed to tell of you all those whose lives are broken and need the fix of Jesus Christ, which is everybody that doesn't currently have it. God, speak to our hearts this morning as we continue in worship, as we meditate on your word. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.